People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. And welcome to Kidney Talk. We're still in San Francisco. Have you had the clam chowder here? I almost died when I oh, had Oh, the some. clam chowder or the sourdough bread is to die for. Or the sourdough bread with the clam chowder in the, in the oh, bowl, the bowl it bread It is so thing. good. And you know, what's really unfortunate is if you're on dialysis, it's clam chowder. It has a lot of potatoes in it. And a lot, a lot of cream, so it's high in phosphorus. But the sour bread, sourdough bread would be okay. Unless you're a diabetic. But we got a lot of restrictions, don't oh, we? Oh, it just sucks, doesn't you it? You know? And you know what? There's no other way to, way to say it. But we're still here at the ANNA conference. Did you, do you now know that it's not Anna, it's ANNA? I am not going to say ANNA. Anna is so much simpler. Hey, I walked around the Fisherman's Wharf and everything. They have the guys shelling the clams and... And every, even though I don't eat clams, you know, but... Uh, it's amazing, too. I love to see the trolley cars go up and down and just to jump on them. And, but, you know, San Francisco has one of the highest populations of homeless people. Oh, I thought I mean, you were going to say homosexuals. I'm gonna, I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, one time I was here for a conference and literally walked about three blocks to go have dinner. And so many people hit me up for money. And one guy came up and he had two little kids. You know, I had to feed my kids. And I'm like, it was almost freaky. That's like being when I'm in Bulgaria, you get accosted by the gypsies and they all have kids. And they say, you know, give me money for my baby. And, and So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really sad. But I had never been accustomed to being in a big city, which I've gone to New York. But San Francisco. But you live in a big city. You live in well, Los in Angeles. LA, but when you live in L.A., you live in a suburb. Right, that's I true. I mean, you really don't live downtown, you know, L.A. And and in L.A., we have uh, a place where the homeless gather. It, I think it's called Beverly Hills. You know, today we're going to be talking to Glenda Payne. She's homeless? No. She lives Please in Beverly Hills? Please try not to insult all of our guests. Oh, well. These are people who I've been working with for years in the community, and I want to keep a couple of friends. Now, she works for the government, so you can't... She works for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Well, Services. that's part of the government. And that's CMS. CMS? Oh, no, yes. not another initial. It's another initial, but, but it's kind of confusing because it's Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. But we can't... But they only uh, count one M. Well, she's been a nurse for over 30 years. Wow. And uh, what she's going to be talking... It's amazing since she's only 29. She used to work for the Department of Health and Human Services. One of the Isn't things... that the card you have to fill out with your social security number health and human services or something like that it could be yeah because that's where your social security comes from <laughs> you wouldn't know i mean you use all those fake social security I know, numbers I right? have, one of the things is she's going to be talking to us about a dialysis survey dialysis, uh, dialysis survey. survey i mean basically they serve not a survey of dialysis but when they survey your dialysis clinic is that like when they have the two kind of colas that's coke or pepsi and find it's a, out which one is better no i don't test. think it's, it's not a survey like that but she's going to talk to us about when your dialysis unit is surveyed, what it means and what patients need to know. You know, I was once a secret shopper. Have you ever done that? I've never been a secret shopper. You know, but that would be fun. It's such a fun, but the problem is I couldn't keep a secret. I told them. Hello? Hi, Mom. 
Boy, that was some storm last night, huh? We actually lost power for a few minutes. Oh, you think that was bad? You should have seen the one back in 52. Well, now that you're on dialysis, you should really have a plan in case of an emergency. Ha! Last emergency I had was when you got your head stuck in the hamster cage. Scared the little fellow to death, those big eyes just staring at him. I'm talking about emergencies, like severe weather, earthquakes, or power outages. What if there was no water or transportation to get you to dialysis? It's important to be prepared. You mean like carrying important medical information? Or asking your facility for alternative arrangements for treatment? Or preparing emergency stock of supplies, foods, and medicines? Or learning what diet to follow if your dialysis must be delayed? You already knew all this? I've got to run, Sonny. I'm late for Taekwondo. Bye, Mom. Well, Glenda Payne, welcome to Kidney Talk. Well, thank you. I'm it's glad to be here. It's exciting to be here, isn't it? It is exciting You don't to be even here. have to say a thing. I'll just say it all for you. I, Glenda Payne, do you get a lot of grief about your name? I do. You know, Glenda Payne's a pain in the ass? Yes. My... Does your husband say that to you? No, as a matter of fact, he doesn't. He has the same name, you know. So she could turn around That's and say the same true. thing. Oh, my God. Where am I coming from? Of course he does. Well, you know, a lot of professional women these days have a different last name. Mm-hmm. Not for me, though. No, not for you. You, mm-hmm. you just... What was your maiden name? Ooh, that's a long time ago. Hooper. Tell me what you do. I mean, the survey, I mean, I wanted to know if it was like the, the hidden Coke test, you know, Coke right. or Pepsi. You, so, do, yeah, why do, are dialysis units surveyed? The survey is really sort of an inspection of the dialysis clinic to be sure that the staff there are giving care that's safe and effective and that they're meeting the minimum requirements that Medicare has so that Medicare can pay for the treatment that patients receive. Now, when you say minimum requirements, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Um, there's a set, set of regulations that spell out what the dialysis facility must provide as far as kinds of staff, like a social worker, a dietitian, a nurse, a physician, and the kinds of care that have to be provided to be sure that care is safe. Uh, For instance, that the water that's used for dialysis is treated so that the contaminants in the water are removed and it's safe for patient treatment. Uh, If they're reprocessing dialyzers, that that's done in a way to be sure that you get your own dialyzer every time and that it's clean and ready to go when you receive it. All the germicides rinsed out. Um, That you get uh, an adequate dialysis treatment, that the uh, physician and nurses monitor you to be sure you're getting enough treatment time and that you're getting uh, clearance of the toxins and removal of the fluid. You know, so all these things that I thought they were doing because they were nice, like a social worker and a dietitian, I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of cool, you know. They have to do that in order to get money. Well, it, they may also be nice, but they are no, required. they're not. They're not. <laughs> they are required to do certain There's things. There's like conditions of coverage. It's so. the con- exactly, Laurie. How about pillows and blankets? Are they required to give those? No, they're not. I didn't think no, so. No, they're not. Because I've never gotten one in my life. It's so funny. I went to University of Cincinnati to have dialysis, 
and because I was traveling, it was like the Mercedes Benz of dialysis mm-hmm. units, and I, I I just couldn't believe it because mm-hmm. no clinic gives you a pillow or a blanket; you have to bring your own. Mm-hmm. And they said I, I was shivering. And they said, "Would you like a blanket?" And I said, "Oh, you." you give out blankets here? And they said, yes. And I said, sure, I'll take one. They said, would you like heated or unheated? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, this is fantastic, you know? That's the only perk about going to surgery is they give you those heated no, this blankets. this is before surgery. No, I know, but just in general, it's the only time I remember getting a heated blanket is like you're in surgery. Do you remember waiting. electric blankets? Do they still sell those? I have an electric blanket. Oh, oh my God. it's actually was, not a blanket. It's actually a mattress pad, mm-hmm. and it heats up the bed. It's wonderful. Wow, you know, I always, as a kid, I was always afraid to have an electric blanket because I always wet the bed, mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to fry like a potato. Well, how many like people conduct a survey when they go? What CMS does is actually contract with state agencies to do the surveys, and each state kind of decides on their own according to their budget and how they're going to allocate their monies. How many people would do a survey? It could range from a single person being there maybe two to three days to a team of people of up to four people being there maybe two days. What's the process? So a dialysis survey or walks into a unit, where do they go first? All the surveys are unannounced, so no one knows so they have we're no coming. Idea they're coming. Oh, right. So they're like secret so shoppers. In the fact that no one knows they're coming, do that's you true. Pose as a dialysis patient? No. <laughs> we have to the first thing we have to do in the unannounced survey is tell them who we are. So you have to, the first thing you have to do on an unannounced survey is announce yourself. Exactly. Isn't that kind of exactly. counterproductive though? No, no, no. It's not counterproductive. The idea is that you want the surveyor needs to see the thing the way the clinic operates in a usual way. So we would come in and unannounced, so you don't know we're coming, you don't, you haven't prepared for us to come. And then as soon as we come in, we ask to speak to the person in charge and explain who we are and what we're there to do. And if that person in charge is outside smoking a cigarette, they get a point taken away? Um, usually they get asked to come back. Their staff says, guess what, the state is here, and they come back immediately and now, talk Now, are they nervous? Us. Usually so. Usually so. Because, you know... Especially if, if they're caught smoking behind the building. They're allowed to smoke but behind the building. But they're supposed to be there. They return yeah, pretty great. quickly, and we may not even know what they had been doing when they when we came into the waiting room, because we don't see beyond the waiting room until someone lets us in. So we're waiting until the person in charge comes, and then we explain what we're there about. Usually they are nervous, but um, the surveyors are um, expected to try to put people at ease because we want to get the best answers, not the scared-to-death answers. So you guys keep Valium injections in your briefcase? <laughs> not the last time I looked. Oh, I don't okay. think so. Now, do you, do you include the patients in, in this survey? Uh, yes, we do. It's a real important part of the survey is interviewing patients. We make observations, of course. A lot of the time that we're there, it's really to look and see what's going on. So just sort of stand in the background and pay attention to how care is being delivered. But we also deliberately uh, talk to patients about the care that they're receiving. Um, it's common for us to tell patients, you know, we're just here today. When we walk in, everything sort of changes, as you can imagine. If you had an inspector come to your home and you weren't expecting them, you would probably do things a little different just because they're an inspector. And so frequently the caregivers do act a little differently than when we're not there. Because they're being watched. So they're, they're being watched. a little bit more cautious. Maybe. Or, or maybe just more nervous or more nervous. just really super careful to do everything as 
perfectly as they can. So we'll ask the patients, how, how are things when you're here every day? You know, would you say the staff, there are enough staff to take care of you and the other patients adequately? Do you feel like your chair and your machine are clean and free of blood when you come in for clinic? If you or another patient has a problem, how do the staff respond? So we really value what the patients can tell us. Now, do you interview more than one patient at a facility? Yes, we do. Um, we expect the surveyors to talk to at least five patients, depending on the number of patients there, and as many as 15. So uh, we try to choose those patients by uh, to get a variety of patients. Both now, a, is, the, is the staff the head person in charge listening to you ask these questions? We we try to provide as much privacy as we can. Because they and might be mean to that patient if the patient says something bad. Well, we're, we want to get the patient's true response, too, so we know it's important to provide privacy for them. And we are willing to make phone calls after hours or to meet the patient somewhere else if they're not comfortable talking about the facility there. But we always ask permission, ask the patient, are you comfortable talking to me about your care here? Mm -hmm. Most patients are, but there are some that have asked to meet us um, off-site, and we've accommodated now, if you that a patient let's say at a starbucks right mm -hmm. would the government pick up the cost of the coffee <laughs> no i'm afraid not they not don't. mine or the patients <laughs> really? yeah, has the government ever thought of hiring dialysis patients who travel to be like a secret shopper uh, not that i'm aware of Lori. That but that's interesting a, though that's it? that's an interesting uh scenario i think it's interesting because i hear a lot of stories when patients travel how different one mm -hmm. unit is from oh, another my unit Lord. so different because I know when we went to Philadelphia, I was amazed, you know, because I, I live, you know, in the suburbs and I was put in the, an inner city dialysis unit. And there was like, I mean, to me, it's, I don't think you're, they're required to have a television. Every dialysis unit I went to, each chair has a little television, you mm -hmm. know? And I go to this one in Philadelphia, first of all, it was on a street where it was like, Crack house, crack house, dialysis unit, crack house, crack house. It's scary. And then mm -hmm. there was like one television for six patients. Mm -hmm. And then these two ladies started to fight over the channels. You know, one wanted to watch oh, wow. Jerry Springer and the other one wanted to watch People's Court. You know, and they started screaming mm -hmm. at each other and it was just awful. You know. So and I guess one of the conditions of coverage is, you know, TVs and all the bells and whistles are just no, extra. No, TVs, that's not part of your thing, is it? Certainly when we interview patients, one of the things we often hear about is how different, either better or worse, other clinics are from the clinic the patient is currently in. Uh, we don't have any requirements for there to be entertainment provided at the dialysis unit. The comments you made make me wonder how the staff reacted when the patients uh, you know, began to fight, whether or not they were concerned about the other patient's safety. Those are the things that we would be concerned about, not about whether there was one TV or a TV for each patient. So if somebody goes to a really upscale dialysis unit and they mm -hmm. put on a live show you know you wouldn't critique the show and fire the casting director or anything not like at that. all not at all we what we'd be looking for there is whether anybody was continuing to pay attention to how the patients were doing on their treatment they have the conditions of coverage and i think that a lot of patients don't know that the facility is required to teach the patients and give them certain information and i know one of them is giving patients all of their option choices exactly 
And so that's one of the questions you asked, where you right. um, were you given all your options? Right. When we, options um, for what? Uh, for treatment, other ways you could be treated. The question we usually ask is, um, who has told you about other ways that you could be treated for your kidney disease? And if the patient doesn't understand that, then we might give examples. For instance, have you, do you have any information about, have you been given any information about transplantation or about home dialysis, either peritoneal, and you'd, we might have to explain that, or uh, home hemodialysis. So that's a condition of coverage that the facilities let the patients know of all of the options. That's part of the regulation, right. Under patient rights, which is a condition, is a requirement that patients be informed of all modalities. RSN just did a survey, and I was actually quite surprised. Uh, more and more patients are being informed about home hemo, but transplant's still somewhat of an issue. A lot of them don't know that that's a possibility. You've got to be kidding me. I'm not. They just don't. They're not being referred to. I mean, they may know it's a possibility, but they don't know it's one for them. One of the things that the surveyor uses before they go on site to do the survey is a data report that we receive every year, and we get a report about each facility. And one of the pieces of information in that report is what percent of their patients are on a wait list for a deceased donor kidney. And we instruct the surveyors to look at that, and if the number is really low... In what is low? What you do is look in comparison to to the state. So let's say the state has a 10% wait list. If their wait list rate is 6% or less, then you would be uh, focusing on that when you talk to patients. So you would be sure to ask every patient about their transplant status, and you would look to see what kind of system the clinic has in place to be sure that patients get information and then get follow-up so they can continue to explore that option. Wow, this is really exciting. And when we come back, we're going to find out if the government pays for that new experimental treatment with the cookie dough ice cream. What's the secret ingredient for delicious yet healthier meals? Why, Mrs. Dash seasoning blends, of course. The 12 varieties of Mrs. Dash are all made up with a unique blend of 14 natural herbs and spices to make side dishes snap, potato pop, and dinner stays unbelievable. And since Mrs. Dash has always been salt-free with no MSG, you can create great-tasting meals full of only one thing, mouth-watering flavor. Here's an easy-to-make, healthy recipe idea. Coat some boneless chicken breast in a mixture of Parmesan cheese, breadcrumbs, and Mrs. Dash Original Blend. Saute in extra virgin olive oil until done. Then give a small squeeze of fresh lemon juice and serve over your favorite pasta. Doesn't that sound good? Well, for more information, visit MrsDash.com. Mrs. Dash, salt-free, flavorful. Linda Payne, you're back. You know, I, I love Medicare. It's great. It's it is. We are so lucky as patients to have this great program that But I have one allowed- complaint, and as many people do. 
How come Medicare stops paying for anti-rejection drugs three years afterwards? Do they want the person to go back on dialysis? I think we should ask the U.S. Congress about that because that's the people who have to make the decision that it can be different. But in your opinion as a government worker, why do you think, I mean, does that make sense to anybody that you would stop? I don't think it makes sense to anybody. I mean, it is, I mean you don't want well, let to. let her answer the question. I agree with you that it seems that it would be more cost effective and certainly more uh, patient protective to continue immunosuppressant coverage longer. But I don't have the magic wand. The Congress does. So we have to get that to happen. Uh, kidney disease is the only entitlement program. I mean, if you have and liver disease. what, is, what dis- is welfare? Well, no, I mean, for health care. Like, oh, if you I have see. liver disease. Um, it's the only disease specific. And what about cancer? They don't do. No, no they don't cancer. have an automatic. When I was in my early 20s, I was on Medicare. That was a that's long, un- long, a, time a long time ago. long time ago. And that's really unheard of. People don't understand that we're the only population that can have access to Medicare with a disease. So, is, mm-hmm. is, so it's not true that you can get Medicare if you're lactose intolerant? No, that's not true. I see. Well, and I know um, some new conditions of coverage are you know, coming out January 2008. And it's really important that you know, if you're interested to read them because they're fascinating. It just basically outlines what the facility is supposed to do for you if they're receiving Medicare dollars. So Are there, is the conditions going to be more strenuous or less easing up on it? The proposed conditions that were published, uh, which the final conditions that will be published in January are built on, have um, more detail in them and have more... Um, the, the current conditions were written in the 70s, 1970s, so they're about 30 years old, and they didn't include things that are today common, such as a quality assessment performance improvement program. And I now, bet you that has initials, what, doesn't it? It does. What is it? What are the initials? <laughs> the Q something. Q-A-P-I. 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 Yes. Quappy. Quappy. <laughs> I had a dog named Quappy one time. Did you? Did you? Yeah. And he well, had kidney disease. That whole thought process of looking at the way that you are providing care, seeing if there are any opportunities for improvement, and making changes to improve the care, then coming back to see if those changes worked, and if they did, continuing that, and if they didn't, adjusting your care. That was not something that was done in the 70s. And now all kinds of healthcare providers do that sort of quappy activity where they do review the care that they're doing. And so these conditions, the new conditions that will be published in early January, will likely include that condition. We believe that they will. And so one of the conditions is like they have, and maybe it's a condition now, but they have to have like a patient care conference about you. Currently, there's a requirement for a patient care plan and a long, what we call a long-term program. The long-term program really has to do with modality, so being sure that you know about different modalities and that the modality you're getting is the one that's the best for you. The new conditions will still include a requirement for you to know about modalities, but it's going to be more assessment-based, that each patient has to have an assessment, and then the needs that are identified from that assessment uh, will be used to plan the care. And the care plan will still have to be done by an interdisciplinary group, that doctor, nurse, social worker, and dietitian I mentioned earlier, and that the care plan has to address the needs of the patient. The patient has to be included in it. In the long-term plan. Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there a requirement of time they need to spend on each patient? And I got to tell you, when my dialysis unit did that, you know, doctor, social worker, dietitian. They said, you can come if you want to, but you don't really have to. 
and it was I was never really included in it. Well, I think there are a lot of dialysis clinics who haven't really operationalized the system the way that it was intended, and I'm hoping with the new conditions that there'll be a renewed focus to make it be real uh, useful rather than just paper compliance. A lot of people just have a form they fill out. Maybe the patients don't even know what's going on. Correct, because you're right. Yeah. Paper compliance, that's perfect, mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. exactly what it was. And they would bring it to me, and I, they'd have me sign it. They mm-hmm. say, you understand that you continue the meds the way you're doing, continue this, continue this, and everything else is fine, mm-hmm. and sign it. And that was mm-hmm. it. Well, at least they went over it with you. Uh, you know, sometimes I've seen clinics where uh, the patient care techs pass them out, and the patients packed them up and took them home rather than even looking at them or giving them back to the staff. And that wasn't the intent. The intent was someone to share the information with the patient. Best of all would be if the patient met with the team and discussed where they are with their care and what the patient needs to do differently or the team needs to do differently so the patient would get better care. What is the requirement? for a dietitian or social worker is there a requirement for how often the patient's supposed to see them or just that there's one available um, the requirement is that the patient needs get met so some patients might need to be seen um, even weekly other patients might not need to be seen but maybe even quarterly but by a dietitian by, or dietitian, a social worker? by both actually so both a social worker and a dietitian are required to be available to provide service and the service they provide has to be uh, based on what the patient's needs are. So if the patient goes to them, I mean, I know a lot of social workers now, they handle a lot of transportation issues Mm -hmm. and a lot of travel issues, but there's a whole psychosocial part that's missing because I believe when it was first created, the social worker was there to help you deal with the illness. Mm -hmm. And now it seems so much of that job is being, you know, paperwork and transportation and insurance. And the patients really need psychological guidance and some help, somebody to talk to. This is what's going on in my life. Well, um, the current conditions certainly speak to that, saying that, you know, essentially that's what the social worker's role was intended to be, was to assist the patient with adjustment to the restrictions or uh, problems that they might experience with the dialysis or, for that matter, with transplantation. But um, the new conditions, um, the proposed rule anyway, has a lot of talk about some end-of-life preparation activities, some preparation activities for uh, being more functional, being able to, you know, continue to live your life and not be... Stay employed. Stay, stay employed and all of that. And all of that is a work that the social worker needs to be involved in. Social workers can have a lot of their time taken up with some activities that certainly lesser prepared persons like financial counselors or maybe an assistant could do some of that uh, travel arrangement work rather than the master's prepared social worker. Yeah, I went to two dialysis units and the social workers were like night and day. One Mm -hmm. was exactly like Lori said, just a paper person who did insurance and they did uh, travel. Mm -hmm. And the other one want to know came, all about your life, huh? Well, I mean, it was good, though. Yeah, no, good. you need it. She you came need somebody. by and wanted to know how everything was going. And then she, on her own time, would do support groups. Mm. And she would do a support group for home dialysis people. And she actually had a support group for spouses of dialysis wow. patients. Because, wow. you know, everybody's focusing on the patient and what about the person who has to... The caregiver. The caregiver, the, the, mm-hmm. the spouse. And that can get awfully depressing to be right. the caregiver. Right. It's and stressful, she too. Would do, she would do a support group. It was all mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. The men never reason. showed up, huh? Well, I don't... 
She just said the men yeah, were Yeah, the women are more into support. We, mm-hmm. we cope by getting together and talking. Well, the social worker uh, actions that the surveyor would expect to see, what we generally do is talk to patients and review your clinical record. So we'd look at the record of your care. And if we identified areas where some social service help was needed and that wasn't being provided, then that's when the social worker would be cited for not providing that kind of care. Okay, what was the biggest outrage you ever saw at a dialysis unit? It's there's a lot of problems with water safety, being sure that the, you know, a dialysis treatment, the most of the fluid that your your blood is exposed to is water, and it's treated water to remove the impurities. But um, there, it's pretty scary to have not safe water because all the patients get exposed to that at the same time and hemolysis you're right laurie that's what happens and just to let you know what that means if your blood hits up against water that's not treated your blood cells split Mm -hmm. and then you can get a high potassium and have a heart attack all that can happen very quickly to a whole the whole group of patients that are on dialysis at that time and i know it's happened a couple of times and the stories that are documented but that's why it's so important to whoever's testing the water in your dialysis unit they are so important remind mm-hmm. them how important they are right wow. exactly so, so the dialysis unit i went to in wisconsin the one that had the uh, big hose into the pond that 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 would have not passed mustard then right? <laughs> not unless they had a really fancy water treatment system in the back in the pond yeah i, I once had a goldfish go right into my vein <laughs> If a patient has a problem with a facility, and they've, you know, it's so important, we always instruct patients, if you have a problem with a healthcare professional or one of the systems, is to go to the nurse, the head nurse, go to the administrator, go to your physician. But once you've tried all that, um, what does the patient do if they have a problem with their facility? Um, there's two different systems that Medicare or CMS has set up. One is the uh, state agency, the people that are in the facility that's doing the this survey. the Department of Health and Human Services? Generally, it's the Department of Health in the state. Oh, so like a State, so it's whatever a state. The state is, yes, like. there should be information in the waiting room on posted for and that's the telephone. To be mandatory, right? Yes, that, that information is posted so patients have access to it. Right, and most facilities give the patient that written information when they're first admitted. You know, I know patients get a lot of information when they first come into dialysis units, and sometimes it's been years, and you may not know where it is anymore. But it should always be posted in the waiting room, and so you could call the state agency and report your concerns to the state agency. The other uh, avenue you have is the ESRD network, mm-hmm. and so you that information too, the contact information, both the state agency and the network are required to have 800 numbers, so that you're it's a toll-free call, and you can call and report your concerns to either of those agencies. We've asked them to work together so that there's not duplication of work, but uh, some complaints are best investigated by the state, where others would be best investigated by the network. When I was working with the network we would get patients who would complain or and usually it was about a staff member they didn't like the personality or something mm-hmm. you know that's difficult to solve sometimes if you yeah, don't you like them because you don't like the yeah person, but if know? the care they're providing is not that's that's the issue right if there's any kind of health care risk then the network or the state agency has to take uh, quick action to be sure to evaluate that risk so patients are not put in jeopardy. Is there a requirement that the tech needs to be able to speak English coherently? The patients and uh, caregivers have to be able to communicate. So if you had uh, any caregiver who didn't speak English and was caring for patients who only spoke English, that would be a problem. I mean, they speak English, but it's incredibly difficult to understand. 
I think because that, they're from a foreign country and nothing right. to blame against them. It's just I, I can't understand, let's say, a Filipino accent. And a lot of the uh, techs are Filipino. There's not a requirement that the facilities can't hire people from other countries, and that's pretty important because, you know, we have such a shortage of right. healthcare Absolutely. professionals. How do you tell somebody who has a thick well, accent tell them to, to slow down. Clearly. Tell them to slow down. Maybe they're not aware how they're talking, and, you know, that would improve their professionalism well i just made up flashcards and you know with <laughs> pictures of what i wanted you know so once the survey is completed and it takes I love a couple the way of you days, just ignore me so when the survey is finished it takes a couple of days so then what happens before the surveyor leaves the facility they'll have what we call an exit conference so we'll sit down with the management of the facility and tell them in a general way what we found both the positives and the negatives so uh, and then we were prepare a written report of just the deficient practices so those the written report is the negatives that were cited so it's kind of like a fire marshal coming in and telling you the violations in some ways that's true and can you shut a dialysis unit down um, what medicare does is essentially we have a contract with the dialysis unit to pay their bills for treatment of patients that qualify for medicare you just squeeze them financially till they have to go out of business well, what we would do is say, if you want to continue in the contract, you have to meet these requirements. If they don't meet the requirements, then we would terminate their contract with Medicare, and that would mean we wouldn't pay them anymore. So, like economic sanctions? Uh, essentially, that's true, and oh, most guess. facilities do choose to close if that's the case. Um, really? If the, if the state has licensing, and about half of our states do license ESRD facilities or dialysis clinics, then the state could require them to close if they take their license away. But it doesn't happen very often. When we find deficiencies, generally in almost 100%, facilities are given a chance to correct the problems. Mm -hmm. And then the surveyor comes back to see if those have been corrected. If they have, then we expect them to maintain compliance and we go on our way. If the facility does not make correction, then we would take further action. Now, how often does a survey take place? Um, CMS expects the states to survey dialysis clinics at least once every three years. We have about 5,000 clinics now. CMS expects uh, the states to survey every dialysis clinic at least once every three years. Uh, some states, the ones that have licensing, some of those states survey dialysis clinics more frequently. Are you required to wear the uniform that you're wearing today with the badge and everything? Are you required to wear that at all times? We don't wear a uniform. We usually come in street clothes. Uh, we will have an ID with us, uh, a, a state or federal uh, ID badge. Uh, generally, it's just like a plastic badge that most people wear in uh, most um, industries now have some sort of identification badge oh. but and we'll have a business card generally that will identify us as who we are so what you're wearing today is just because you're out of town and you just want to go wild <laughs> hi folks crazy kid kid here to tell you about the incredible specials we're having we are definitely wheeling and dealing this weekend if i can't put you in a proper access a lifeline like me and the missus like to call them and i'll stand on my head and eat a low sodium bug First, we have a crazy kidney kid special on hemodialysis access with several different models. We have catheters great for the beginners or in any emergency, but you'll soon want to move up to a more sporty model. Next, we have the AV graft, a good utility access, but believe me, sweet folks, I have saved the best for last, the fistula. This is the access that everyone is talking about. You'll get great mileage and years of use with this baby. 
What's that you say? Hemo just doesn't fit the lifestyle you prefer, PD? Well, feast your eyes on this, baby. Oh, I forgot this is radio. You'll just have to trust me on this one, folks. This is the PD catheter model. Beautiful, efficient, and easily hidden from view. So take your pick. We're dealing all week. We'll really have to move these babies. Keep your access clean and free of infection. A daily check for signs of redness and warmth could indicate infection. Check with your health care team for tips on how to keep your dialysis access clean and safe for use. And remember, if I can't put you in one of these lifelines, I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug. You know, I had no idea that the dialysis units were tested, surveyed, like secret shoppers and stuff. Isn't it pretty interesting? But if you think about it, anybody who receives Medicare dollars, they have conditions. So, you know, a transplant center has conditions of coverage, too. There's certain things they have to provide you if they're going to receive Medicare dollars. It's kind of like, you know, when you borrow money from somebody... There's always conditions attached. Yes. It's not, like you know, I here. Will, or if they're going to pay you. I mean, when you enter in a contract with somebody, there's certain expectations that people have. And this is basically what it is. It's an agreement. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services is basically a contracting, and they're entering into a financial agreement with the dialysis facility, and they have certain expectations. And if they don't meet those expectations, they don't want to pay them. I wish there was a government agency like that for, like, gas station bathrooms. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.